Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver. I hope you're all enjoying this crazy presidential election. I guess I am, uh, and I, I certainly have to say that as a political junkie for my whole life, I have never seen or expected to see a presidential campaign like this one. And I have been, and I'm assuming you have been too, talking up a storm about it with my friends. And uh, two of my best friends and integral colleagues, Diane Musho-Hamilton and Terry Patton, we've been having the best conversations. And so we decided to turn on the recorder and share one with you. So we recorded this conversation on Monday, October 10th, which was the day after the infamous debate number two, where Donald Trump went after the Clintons for Bill Clinton's sins against women and Hillary's role in saving him and his career. So that was quite a debate. And this next morning when we had this conversation, it was uh, uh, pretty juicy. So the conversation that you're about to listen to starts with Terry confiding that the debate made him want to take a shower. Oh, I'm grossed out. The whole Donald Trump thing has actually given me this. I feel a little like Billy Bush, like I've been, you know, sinfully in on something ugly. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of enjoying it. Well, there's a part of me that enjoys it, but there's a bigger part of me that's grossed out. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of horrified that, well, I've been spending way too much time paying attention to this shit. I've been, like, clicking all over the web, and yeah. I've been paying way too much attention to something. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, well, it's um, one of the most consequential and interesting and just outrageous times in certainly our lifetime of political history. And so it's worth paying attention to. I mean, culture's doing something here, right? Yeah, well, I'm not sure it's something I'm happy to see it doing. Do you feel like something good is being worked out by this? Oh, totally. Yeah. What, yeah, what, totally. what can you say about what you see about that? Well, that um, if we believe that evolution is a messy painful process, particularly in first tier, and, and I think it is, it just is, that surfacing these voices into the public sphere is actually a good thing. And that's sort of what's happening in the culture in general, is that everybody now has a microphone, if not a megaphone. And it's not like Donald Trump has created people who are sort of, you know, flying at their red-amber altitude, at least in some important line of their development. I, I, I get that he has given them permission. He has gotten them together. He has created a space for them. But do we really want them to not be in the space? You know, as long as they're not hurting anybody and, you know, just fighting with words, that's democracy, um, then, yeah, I'm good with it. You know, it, just to use a particular example of it, I think one of the things we're seeing is that there's been an enormous cultural change in our attitudes towards women and around women from 1996, which was the Clinton impeachment era, and 2016, 20 years later. And so we're sort of relitigating the, the lives of these two 70-year-old alpha men Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, who both in their lifetime, in, in, in the culture that we lived in, had the privileges of the alpha male to, you know, have his way with women and get away with it. And that's just so not okay anymore. And we're, we're really deeply getting that. And this helps us to get it even more deeply. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I I've always thought, what does Bill Clinton, what does he, I, I, I don't think his heart's in this. I mean, why would he want to put himself through this again? But anyway, that's, you know, just some of how yeah. know, I see positive metabolizing of karma, of cause and effect that we have throughout history. 
I, I certainly see what you're describing, but I also see this. I'm sick of political correctness. You go for it, Donald. Yeah, grab him by the twat. Uh, it's not all evolving. <laughs> there's, there's, there, the, the, the backlash dimension is huge. It's, it's not all about forward progression and what we're clear about is not okay. Some of it is about, it's clear they don't give a fuck what's okay, and I'm going to do what I fucking want to do, and I'm just sick of the technocrats and the modernism, and it's this red underbelly giving the finger to the fact that it's been left behind by globalization and, 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 the, and the technocratic elite, and, and fuck all of you. Well, I, I, I think I'd like to speak to that, too. I mean, I sort of feel like there's a certain way that what you described, Jeff, is like the the mediaizing and to some degree, in this case, the entertainmentizing of the whole thing. But we really have to be conscious that we, because we have a developmental view, there's a certain privilege and relief that goes along with that developmental view. So I can look at Trump and see his behavior through a very clearly red lens. But hosting a, a press conference of four women from Bill Clinton's past as a, in my view, an attempt to intimidate and humiliate Hillary Clinton right before she comes to the debate, that's not just words. You know, that is, you know, that's sort of red intimidation. And I also felt just watching the debate that just his, you know, we, we always include our experience in the gross, the subtle, and the causal. And in the subtle realm, for me, as a female, I was really identified with his overbearing, dominating, predatory, primate kind of energy towards her. Like the number of times he turned to her, pointed his finger at her, called her a liar, called her a name, threatened to jail her, pointed at her again. And, and when she was speaking rather than sit like she did for him, that he would, you know, sort of, you know, tower behind her. Like that was, none of that was lost on me. And I experienced that as it's not just words. It's actually energetic intimidation. So from that point of view, everybody knows politics is, you know, it sort of includes the entire spiral. But if I'm the person on the other end receiving that direct kind of physical threat from him, I'm not good with it. And how do you think Hillary did? I think it was intimidating. I think she wasn't as powerful as she was when she had the safety of the podium. I thought the format didn't work for her. I thought the that that press conference actually had an impact and, you know, seeing those four women there and Bill Clinton there and, you know, they attempted to put the four women into Trump's family box and the debate people didn't allow it to happen. So I feel like part of why he came out more successful in this debate was precisely because that raw red energy physically with the bringing the women in, intimidating her and Bill Clinton, that red was red kind of won the day in a way where she was, you know, having to, it's not that she didn't attack him, but she didn't attack him directly and personally. She sort of spoke in the third person. Like, I don't think Donald is, you know, fit to be president. She called him unfit, but she didn't, never turned to him, pointed to him, bared down on him and called him a liar or said, you need to be ashamed. Her body wouldn't let her do that in the same way. I can, I can tell you as a female, it's not that I don't do that, or I can't do that, or that a woman can't be intimidating in the same way a male can. But in relationship to him, she doesn't have that same privilege when she's being watched. If she started doing that, people would react like insanely negatively towards her. So I I had a huge uh, response to that whole debacle, what I think was a debacle last night. And because for me, it's the, the lack of the demand that people move beyond red to participate. Well, I That's think this I actually, think. I think this actually shows an imperative to move beyond red. I yeah. mean, I don't think Donald Trump won that debate. It. Yeah, I think Donald Trump solidified and ginned up his, you know, thirty plus percent of the population who still like him. But mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. he. Not only did he not gain any votes, I mean, please, I mean, which person on that stage last night? For any reasonable person, do you want to have as a commander in chief? Yeah. You know, in the yeah. Oval Office. You know, right now he's down 11 points in the latest polls. Wow. I mean, I'm happy to see him and pray that this happens, that he goes down in ignominious defeat so that not only Trump. And but drags Trump down the whole Republican Party, both the House yeah. and the Senate. 
Yeah, that, yeah, my tribal liberals really dancing. I mean, this, this couldn't have been better in a way. Because mm-hmm. on Friday, my fear was that he was going to resign or step aside or they were just going to stop funding him or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Or that, you know, they'd take him off the ballot and put Pence on. I mean, I didn't know what yeah, was going to happen. Yeah, but Pence would withdraw. If, I thought Pence might withdraw and then, and then yeah, that would yeah. really leave the GOP with yeah. some sort of, you know, being able to pressure him, pressure him. He doesn't have a running mate. Then he finally agrees to withdraw and Pence becomes the nominee. I thought yeah. that was... And then, no, and then Pence was, beats Hillary. Yeah. Because there's just so much, you know, it's so magical that, you know, people can't help themselves Uh, or whatever. I mean, that was my fear. But now, I mean, in some ways, it's the worst of all possible worlds for the Republicans, because in the interim between Friday and last night, I don't know, a couple dozen significant Republicans uh, distanced themselves, unendorsed him. And so now it's clear he's not going anywhere. And um, these people have peeled away. And so it really does put the Republicans in a, you know, really bad, untenable spot, which, you know, is an evolutionary, I think it's healthy because yeah. they really have to rethink things now. I mean, there's just no question. And so, you know, that's, you know, I, I, I get everything you're saying, I agree with it. In fact, I thought it was really insightful to just feel into what you were talking about, the energetic intimidation, which is a real thing that is beyond words. Thank mm-hmm. you. That's, that's yeah. helpful. Yeah, it's the display of raw power, uh, raw yeah. energetic power. You know? yeah. And to have that, I think one of the things that Trump has taught America is, my God, this can happen. You know, this kind of guy can get somewhere. And I think our bullshit detectors have been you know, vastly improved uh, by Trump and Trumpism. So that's, you know, that's the part of it that I think the engine that keeps us, uh, that, that does actually uh, power forward progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think there's something to it. I mean, the, the upside of it, and, and I, I credit, you know, social media with this in the sense that social media, reality TV, that, you know, everything is, everything is now, available to be uh, witnessed, experienced, observed. Like it's not much of it doesn't happen behind the scenes. It kind of all happens out in front. And I do think there's, there's something sort of healthy about that because we sort of get to make a conscious decision like that people had had enough when they heard this, this tape of him being just like crude and objectifying women. And, you know, just like some people, you know, say it's a rape culture, you know, just that sense that there's no, room for consent. And clearly the idea that the subjectivity of the woman even exists, like she might have yes. an experience. He, he called her, he called her it. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He called her, he called her it. That's exactly yeah. it. So, so it's like, there it is. And, and the public's getting to say no. And so from that perspective, I think it is healthy. It's just hard to go through. I already have the experience and I've talked to both of you guys about one of the things that's frustrating to me is Clinton is a politician. Clinton has uh, her shortcomings as a, as a campaigner. She has her flaws in her decision-making or her judgment. She has 30 years of mistakes, whatever those happen to be. So you can be pro-Hillary or against Hillary. But I do think there's something about it being the first female candidate to run for president, and this is how she's treated. Like, this is what you have to go up against. It's like, there's something in that structure for me that is really painful. So I'm talking more the gender dimension of it right now, rather than the developmental part of it. And maybe, you know, the whole gender problem just has to be exposed, including the fact that he feels just completely free to demean her in the most, you know, like threatened to put her in jail because of his personal view. You know, even yeah. though she's been investigated by the FBI, that's something a despot would do. That's what you know? Red does, Min- Di. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. And so here's the no. first female candidate being threatened on TV to be imprisoned. You know, it's weird. But it's, it's appropriate. It's, there's something, like you say, there's something wildly sane about it in some strange way. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, I think one of the things that Integral lets us do is see how the culture at large sort of is refracted in our own individual development. And a lot of us have gone through all kinds of therapies where we sit, I mean, voice dialogue therapy, big mind. I mean, where we let every voice speak just as fully and as vividly and powerfully. And, you know, 
not pretty for the most part often. And there's something about that, that, that we're going through a cultural therapy where all of this gets to be seen and surfaced and not held bound up in a dissociated state. Uh, and, and I'm actually, you know, you've you, you got to titrate this stuff. I mean, you don't want it to overwhelm. And this, it's pretty close to overwhelming right now. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, also but, true. It's also true, Jeff, that the uh, it is it is functioning very differently for an integral consciousness than it is for a less developed consciousness. There's a very significant number of people who are just in abject reaction to the dominant level of consciousness of uh, the technocratic elites on the coasts being above their own level of consciousness and them being left behind economically. And there's this angry backlash of the id against that. And they simply want to give the finger, punch the punch Washington in the nose. And Donald Trump is their voice to do that with. And I don't think they're learning all these lessons you're describing. I think that we are, and perhaps there are a lot of modernists and postmodernists who are becoming more sophisticated because they too have sensibilities that register all of this. But this is polarizing us. You know, some of the research shows that Certain people are hardened in their attitudes by exposure to more information and others are expanded. Like, not everybody responds the same. So the positive narrative you're putting forward is undoubtedly true, but I don't think it's universal. Yeah, I mean, I, the one thing I would I, I get what you're saying about people in, you know, modern and postmodern and so forth could really work with this better than previous stages. But what's also true is that, you know, it's like these comment sections on blogs. You see it in Reddit. You see it in a lot of these sort of communities where people are anonymous and they just flame and, and, and insult and all of the stuff that we're talking about um, until, you know, at some point they get bored. I mean, there is something to be said for once we express Fully, is what my meditation teacher Shinzen Young used to say, is you have a complete experience of this emotion that it just at some point becomes boring and you want to move on. And so, again, I, 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 you know, I don't want to just say this is a terrible, you know, this is a bad thing that's happening here. Uh, it's ugly, but I'm not sure that it's not really potent for our cultural development, far more so than any election between Hillary and uh, Marco Rubio would have been. Well, I have two examples of what you, you're talking about. So the, the first is what you're speaking to, Jeff. So I, I have a number of um, conservative, quite a few conservative friends on my Facebook page, people that I went to school with, you know, uh, sisters-in-law, some of my nieces and nephews are quite conservative. And I noticed on my niece's Facebook page today, she, who's a, she's a, a Trump supporter. She basically said, you know, enough of this already. Yeah. And so that was really interesting. She wasn't, even though I think on an energetic level, he prevailed substantively, he didn't prevail last night. And I think in terms of the larger question, anybody who could stand back and say, who do I want to lead? I mean, she, Hillary was impressive that she did as well as she did under that kind of assault from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And, but to get to Terry's point, the other, the other one was talking to my mother, who's 80 years old. She watched the debate and literally went to bed like sad and sick, mm -hmm. just sad and sick, mm -hmm. you know? So that just that, you know, the fact that evolution is not pretty, right? It's beautiful right. and not no. pretty. And at any moment, what has, what has meaning and can be integrated or moved on for the other person can't. And, you know, in a certain way, the argument yeah. that you're, you're making about, you know, the, what it takes for us to develop and also how certain segments of our population are left behind in the kind of, you might say, in the, in the evolutionary path. You know, the same argument could be made for what's happening in the Middle East where, you know, uh, Arab culture is at the height of its, its beauty in the 12th century. And then mm -hmm. something happens and, and they're as utterly left behind in modernism and economically and uh, you know, there's there's not there's not a lot of ways to respond to that except to be angry. You know, in a way, right. when you're just yeah. you know, when you find yourself in a category of people that, for whatever reason, isn't able to benefit. 
you know, and I don't, I don't understand the evolution of history well enough to, to know how people acknowledge how that happened, but it's hard. So I I support you both like a good, you know, pluralist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, you know, part, part of what this stimulates for me, I resonated a lot with what you were saying, Diane, about the gender dimensions of this and the fact that the first woman and, and the United States being the world's superpower, a woman becoming the most powerful person in this country has a, a different significance species-wide than it had for Golda Meir or Margaret Thatcher or Angela Merkel to be the leader and, and of their Hillary countries. Has, she has that status around the world. I think that's an important thing to know that, you know, it's that thing where you can't be a something in your own land. You can't be a prophet. prophet. Yeah. <laughs> Putin's reputation around the world is stellar, and her impact on the welfare of women, of women and girls has been, she's probably had more influence in the last 40 years on the status of women and girls than any other single person. Seriously. Right. right. Go ahead. And she's a hugely gonna... important person, and for her to be intimidated visibly on screen last night, to be, you know, his whole intent is to intimidate and humiliate and degrade her. And it is part of the the mode or trope of journalism that we have this balance and objectivity whereby the people who have the apparent neutrality and therefore the authority with which to speak out to defend her rarely do. It isn't cool on the left. It was cool to oppose her and support Bernie. It isn't cool on the right. It isn't cool for the journalists to do so. So the woman who's going through all of this is largely undefended by the righteous voices of a man who can defend and protect and praise a remarkable leader who's really a huge world historical figure and who's shown a lot of very good character. I mean, everything that is... I haven't heard a story about her past that leaves me thinking that she has anything but a fundamentally idealistic and caring set of motivations who became extremely uh, pragmatic and did what needed to be done in a variety of circumstances. But I never saw somebody who was simply cynical. And yet she's being reviled as if she's, you know, belongs in jail, lock her up. And that... Mm -hmm. And, and the fact that that's going on at that level of a fever pitch, that there's so much energy to attack her and there's so little to defend her. I, I, I feel like uh, this, you know, seeing this in the mirror, where is the noble, healthy manliness of American culture? Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, call well, on I, that from me. Well, there's one exemplar. Yeah, yeah that, go ahead, too. Who is absolutely defending her? I'm, I'm not saying that your bigger point isn't true, Terry. I think it is. But there is one defender, and that's Barack Obama, and he's a he's a beautiful and and faithful defender of her, and um, and also Michelle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's right. But that's about but, it. You know, well, Kim Kane and yeah, Joe well, Biden right. I mean, and. Yeah, that's but, right. But they're not registering in the ways they, they nobody, including Hillary has the visceral punch that Donald Trump does. And so the energy's on the side of that attack. And her husband's largely sidelined because of his infidelity. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware again that, you know, when a, when a woman moves into inhabiting positions of power, that I think it's fair to say she's now in a man's game, right? And that everybody is going to attack her and from every possible position and she's going to be undermined and she's going to be... You know, the, the the level of attack that she's undergone as, and I think it, it, it does show the resistance to letting a woman come into power. And in my view, the same way in which the racism in our culture has been surfaced, I think because Barack Obama's been in office, this is my personal view. And I think that she's, any woman who is in a first wave position of holding power like she is, has gone through the same thing. But to watch it in action, it just, it's just... For me, it's it's heartbreaking, and I have I have an enormous amount of respect for her for simply occupying that position. Whatever my agreements with her are, whatever my disagreements with her are, the fact that she's a first wave woman in that position of holding that kind of power and therefore being subjected to that kind of onslaught, I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. 
And I think it's different for a woman than for a man. I don't know that Donald Trump would have would have uh, displayed his, you know, primate sort of. I, I think he would have comported himself differently energetically if it if it had been a man last night. I honestly do. But I keep going into gender. So, you know, there's really a derangement. Fun. There's a derangement at work that's broader because the reaction to Obama's presidency, which was racist in its foundations, is close sibling to the reaction against Hillary and the potential, you know, should be once she's elected, we say, wow, what a historical moment. We have a woman president. Things have changed. Maybe we can unite around her. She can be the mother of our country. She's interested in bringing people together. She knows everybody deserves a seat at the table. She's willing to let the Republicans have a seat at the table, but Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders will have a voice that'll be much more expanded than otherwise. There's a potential for all the different factions of this country to come together with her. But there's a psychological principle, uh, the term for which is escaping me momentarily, that once we have gotten the feeling that we have been good in a certain way, we're exempted from further being good in that virtue in that virtue. So once we've elected Barack Obama, we can attack him mercilessly and give vent to the racism that we're not ready to acknowledge, patting ourselves on the back that America is a wonderful pluralistic country that doesn't really have racism anymore. And once she's elected, the potential is going to be for a similar kind of unleashing of whatever id may be there. And the ugliness of what's happening right now concerns me because it feels almost like a foreshadowing of more ugliness to come. Well, aren't you two just harshing my buzz? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would point out that, yes, this is painful and ugly, and it's bringing up all kinds of shadow in our culture. And because Hillary Clinton is running against Donald Trump and not, say, Marco Rubio, because of that, she's going to be the next president of the United States. Instead that's of, true. That's you know, true. That's so that let's true. look at that and, and, okay. and realize we're not going to get that without, you know, a piece of flesh having to be, you know, cut off. Yeah, but, that's right. But we're going to get that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. That's right. And I think she did, she did come out of the debate. And I, I just want to say to, you know, whoever is listening to your podcast that, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Hillary fan on lots of levels. And I'm, a, I'm partly a fan just because she, I, from my perspective, she's a badass. And she's endured this for years and years. And she's tough. And she knows how to prevail. And in this case, I think you're right, Jeff, that she, you know, she came up against a candidate that, that actually, even though he may be more red in his sensibilities and more crude and dominating, he's, he's defeatable. And another yeah. Republican might not have been for her. It's true. Absolutely. Very, very likely wouldn't have been. It's very hard to get a third term for the same party. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. So that's, you know, God works in mysterious ways. The strange movement of evolution and culture. And that's well, it's not certainly the-, the dialectic, isn't it? That once we're ready to have feminine leadership, everything that roars angrily to oppose it gets personified and focused in this ugly man. Yeah, yeah. but that, that archetypally, that's what it feels like. It almost feels yeah. like her, the fact that she's a woman running is like she, it's like the whole situation dreamed up the antithetical energy to her, her, to her leadership. That seems yeah. like on an archetypal level, absolutely true. And do you think at the end of this campaign that the average man in small town, whatever, USA, is going to be more or less likely to mindlessly insult, abuse, you know, disrespect a woman. No, they've learned an enormous lesson. What an amazing teaching moment this has been Yeah. for the culture. And they're kicking and screaming. They don't like yeah. it. I mean, some of them. There'll be some corners got, where they're glorifying they it. That. But I mean, they actually it'll get go to be in the, the margins. Yeah, these people get, I, I know some of you do too. You're, these people get to be in the system as long as they're not 
you know, hurting anybody. You know, mere character assassination rather than real assassination. That I worry about. I will say that. You know, that the, 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 the very fringe of crazies get out of control. And, and you know, but they've kept Obama safe and, you know, let's just assume that we know what we're doing there. Okay. A little later in the conversation, we turn our attention to just the general phenomena of Trump. See, it's astonishing that this guy has, first of all, made the success of himself that he has in terms of business. I, you know, I'm sure it's overblown and whatever, but he does fly around in a jet and live in a tower. Uh, but that he would be the, the nominee of a major political party is, I think, just a message from God to that party that they need to rethink things. And I'm excited to see what they do because the right needs to be in the system in a healthy way. And mm-hmm. right now it's not. And, and it's such a bad train wreck that, again, they can't really try to hold it together without just letting it fall apart first. And that's a good thing. So at least in that's, practic- that's the part of it that, that's good. <laughs> in practical terms, Jeff, you think that individual Trump voters who see that he has no chance of winning their state or who are pissed off at the senatorial or congressional candidate who disavowed him will not vote or that it'll actually depress turnout and that the net result will be to help the Republicans lose one or both houses of Congress? I think that's far more likely today than it was Friday morning. Yes. Did you hear that Paul Ryan, did you guys hear Paul Ryan's message to Congress? Yeah, yeah. Like like he, he, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are are exactly on the horns of this dilemma. On the one hand, you know, because of everything we've been talking about, they, they, they don't want to, um, associate to Donald Trump and he canceled, as we know, his, their, his campaign appearances. And on the other hand, this is the only candidate they've got. And he's not going to think about what's better for the party because you don't do that at red. You think about what's best for you, right? right. So the, the idea that you would step away for the well-being of the party, that's never been on the table. And so <laughs> Paul Ryan's in the middle of the road going, I'm not for him, but I'm not against him. Well, I'm sort of for him, but I'm sort of against him. And then give, giving everybody else the same message. You know, saying, you know, do what you have to do. That's a very, it's the other thing is, you know, just look out for your own survival. You have to also be read in this case because we can't pull together in a more amber way and, you know, learn how and and execute together. So everybody's kind of on their own to make their own choice. In Utah, of course, where I am, the entire Republican coalition is completely jumped ship and are, are demanding his resignation. It's really extreme out here. Yeah. Yeah. But at least they have a moral, they they have an armature of more, I think that there's some incoherence in it, but it has way more coherence than you see in Ryan and McConnell. So will, will that cause the old alliances to fall apart and for something entirely new to take shape? Do, Do the Republicans lose their coherence and their power in national politics for a period of time? Or does the reactivity get energized enough that it doesn't really learn its lessons immediately and that this metastasizes further? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that is actually the question, is what happens post-Trump? I mean, is Trump then the buffoon that we all just want to forget about? That's going to be true, I think, for, uh, you know, all Democrats, of course. And, and, but for Republicans, I think that's going to be true for maybe 60% or maybe a few more than that. Uh, but there's going to be a hardcore, say, 20% who are, you know, just they've been activated by Trump. And Trump will have Trump media, and Trump will continue to be their spokesman. And, you know, he'll be kind of a buffoonish character uh, that I think will be mostly marginalized. That's my guess. And still, and well, he'll, yeah, he'll still have his people. He'll probably be like Palin, which is, you know, he'll, yeah. he'll get a certain kind of play because, because the people love the entertainment. It's like David Letterman said the other night that I thought was so funny. So we just have to be real about it. Like he's not going to win the election, but nobody really wants to see the, the circus leave town. 
you know, so the, yeah, the exactly. circus is going to continue to have its role. My guess is he'll get more play and have more influence than anybody wants him to in, in the in the leadership of the party, and that's right. going to be kind of problematic for them, you know, because he's a bit of a destructive force precisely because he doesn't operate from a a level of development in which you think about the strong the we and what you know what's actually going to preserve the the we of the Republican uh, position. You know, it's more just what can Trump do for Trump. There's two ways that he has also been, I think, positive for the Republican Party, if you will, in that his message is really incoherent in terms of Republican conservative orthodoxy. He's pro-safety net. Um, He thinks we ought to save Social Security. And he's also not into foreign wars. That's, you know, he's not actually hawkish. So he's mixing up this orthodoxy in the, the, in some ways, the most hardened cultural conservatives in the country, even the evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets them yes. off of this yes. thing where they all just assumed everybody was going to fall in line with a yes. small government pro-military or pro-militant uh, position. Not, right. not so fast, people. Yeah. Well, that was an interesting moment in the debate last night, and I've heard a a little bit about it, where he diverged from Pence and basically differentiated from Pence, saying that we would use military intervention in Syria for military targets. And he said, I disagree. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was a moment. That was a moment of just what you're talking about. Yes. And also his uh, gay position. That he, he yes. paused in his acceptance speech at his convention and said, thank you for applauding me for being for gay people. I really appreciate it. That's a good thing. Yeah, totally. So what you're hoping so you're seeing is, a, is, a, <laughs> is an unraveling of the whole incoherent, reactive yeah. coalition that has been the Republican Party so that a healthy conservatism can come together as and restore a, a dialectic that actually evolves our culture. Absolutely. And if we look at evolution moves in terms of things stay the same and kind of move a little bit, and then punctuated evolution, where things move quickly all of a sudden. And because of Trump, this is the moment where things are moving quickly all of a sudden. And um, so we're just watching it in real time. I mean, That's literally. Right. It's, they're, it's moving, they're moving quickly in, in ways that look both, both like falling apart and coming together. Well, I mean, yeah, I totally apart. see the evolutionary narrative that you're describing pertaining in important ways. But I don't think that the narratives of uh, unraveling are irrelevant either. It's, no, it's a complex uh, moment. No, you've got to unravel before you re-ravel. And unraveling is never pretty. Uh, but, you know, nobody's going to get hurt too bad here. It's not like the Cultural Revolution in China or, you know, Stalin or anything like you know. As, as long as he doesn't win. I mean, can you imagine him winning and trying to put Hillary in jail with his special prosecutor? Well, I mean, well, it could get yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it he's, could. He, he's, he's a dangerous cat. <laughs> well, I know. And, that, that, you know, what did Nate Cohn had him at, at 18% probability of winning? That's too fucking much. Exactly. I'm I'm terrified at that 18%. I've thrown enough dice in this world to know that sometimes that comes up. Exactly. His supporters are are far more armed than we are. That's the other thing we have to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) That 18% has more guns than the other 82% put together. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yeah. Arsenal. We're not just talking like, you know, your random, you know, weapon. We're talking arsenals. Yeah, Seriously. but all of this violence is happening, you know, in the subtle realm. And that's just ev- actually evolutionarily interesting, too, because that's just the center of gravity of the culture is that we fight with words, we fight with thoughts, we fight with arguments, we fight with assertions, but not with weapons. We, uh, we very fight with, with old video clips, too. <laughs> exactly, yes, and, and hot mics. And that's another thing is that you know, there's something about our relationships at Integral where we can be really tough with each other and we can say shit that's really offensive and we could just sort of let our inner, you know, crackpot out with each other because we don't take it so seriously. We sort of take it for a walk on a leash 
And there's something yeah. about the, the world to come where we're just going to see that we're all fucking human and we have these animal bodies and we like to fuck different people and we do things we're ashamed of and we say shit and, uh, you know, we all have cooties. Get on with it. Let's, it be, we all, so forgive it be, each other and get on with it. Would it be something like me saying I would sleep with Bill Clinton for sure? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and I've heard you say that. He's getting old, but you know what the hell. <laughs> exactly. You know. Yeah, so and, we're going to bring that sort of red back online where we can Oh, God, now be... somebody's going to put what I just said up online, and now I'm going to be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> Take it back. I didn't say beep, it. Beep, beep. Out of context. I don't mean it. I never would. He's married. I like her. <laughs> yes, it's a thought experiment. <laughs> well, it's, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting. The letting out of our wildness that we're talking about doing at Integral is very, very different from the unleashing of the reactive id at Red. And yet they have a certain superficial similarity. Well, I, wonder what the distin- I wonder what the distinguishing distinctions are. I, I know what the distinguishing out- distinctions are. You can take a perspective on it. That's a big distinction. I That's can say right. that, I can enjoy it, and at the same time, I'm aware of what I'm saying, and I can also see that in the context in which it's operating, I'm not just subject on subject. That's right, That's which is both self-awareness and point. humor and, and compassion. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what we say, what I understand, what I learned from Ken and the rest of you development geeks over the last 10 years, is that the bright line is you actually have a perspective that's witnessing the perspective. You've cultivated witnessing awareness on yourself and on others and on the situation altogether. That's enormous because it doesn't mean that you enact it, you, you play it and see it at the same time. So you know, it was very interesting what surfaced in the WikiLeaks thing about a private and a public position on Hillary's part, and then her quoting of Abraham Lincoln, that was an argument for construct-aware participation in multiple dialogue spaces, and it's being treated as if it's a confession of hypocrisy. It can't be understood at the lower levels. That's right, absolutely. There's There's no question about it, in my personal view, on that moment is that I thought it would have been much more powerful to say that the, the capacity to both hold a private perspective and to still distinguish it from the interest of your constituency and to hold multiple interests in terms of stakeholders and interest groups and your own, that that's actually a qualification of a good politician, but it gets interpreted as, as somehow um, like the idea that a politician doesn't have a private perspective. And I think her reference to Lincoln for people who understand the, the, uh, the view about it was, was all about uh, slavery and the, the abolitionist movement and the emancipation proclamation. And then eventually that is it the 13th amendment that freed the slaves? Because I mean, his personal opinion about what he wanted to have happen, he knew he had to bring along the entire country at the same time. And so he waited, his timing was different based on his, his personal preference than what the country actually would respond to. And that's really what she was getting at. But I think it went over everybody's head and I don't think she made it a strong enough argument for for the fact that that's the case with everybody. Every politician should be operating with an awareness of their private perspective, their private interests, and also the interests of their constituency and how they're different. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting how the complex thought that goes into Hillary's expression comes out usually fairly complex. And the brilliance of Bill Clinton or Barack Obama being superior politicians is that their instincts are, they think complexly too, but their instincts sort of boil it down to something that people can relate to on a very simple fourth grade level and emotionally. And that's what works politically. And that's why she's not as good a politician. But the fact that she betrays the complexity of her thought in her speech endears her to us because we appreciate that she's thinking complexly at least. Well, and I also think that most people actually know that politicians spin and sort of lie, and that's their job in a way. They're trying to get people who disagree with each other to move in the same direction. That's what leaders are always trying to do. 
And good leaders, you know, they're always sort of playing the, to their audience. And that's, people have sort of an understanding of that. And I actually think the, the, the two big WikiLeaks, where, where she's talking about open borders and she's talking about free trade and she's talking about being friendly to Wall Street, and also where she's more hawkish, um, these are actually probably going to help her in the next few weeks because there's a lot of Republicans who, you know, they can't stomach Trump. They can't do it. The modernist Republicans. And yet they're going to look at Hillary and realize that, yeah, she's been playing Bernie Sanders' song so far, but the real Hillary's actually going to be pretty reasonable and not going to upset the apple cart. And, and that's not a bad thing, actually, politically. I'm not sure they're that unhappy about it. As long as the Bernie people still vote for her. I, I've seen a lot of revolt on, on the left. Uh, they're upset about this stuff. Really? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that Sanders people... You know, that, that particular line about public and private interest and in, in her statement about that, I think she had an opportunity to respond to Sanders voters. And maybe, I don't, I'm not sure that what she did was very effective, but I think, they're, I think they are upset about that. I think it kind of, there's salt in that particular wound where they just feel that she's just too comfortable with the banks and the big financial institutions. And how are we ever going to get that kind of reform if she's so cozy? And that's been what they've been saying about her all along. And I really appreciated the primary because I appreciated Sanders pushing her a little bit out of that middle zone, you know, when it comes to the big institutions and Wall Street. Yeah, me too. And I actually think she'll be, you know, hopefully she'll be able to sort of hold it all, you know, to see where Wall Street, Wall Street's essential. You know, trade is essential. Uh, but also see that there's a general movement in history towards a, a better safety net and including more people. And, you know, all of the stuff she was talking about last night, that she could hold all of that and take that into this presidency that actually has a potential, I think, to be a very successful one. You know, she's proven to be able to work across the aisle. There are more yeah. Republican senators have oh. said very positive things about her. So, you know, I hope that the Bernie people do realize that the world has to work where, you know, the right does exist. We are not going to all fall in line behind a liberal agenda. That's just not in the cards. And so we have to move forward anyway. And I hope that the Bernie people can, you know, get a grip about that basic truth. You know, the thing that yeah, distinguishes Hillary from everybody else is she's the best listener. She's a better listener than Bill. She's a better listener than Barack. She's a better mm-hmm. listener than any of the other politicians. And yep. that is a strength. I agree. When it comes to leadership, that is a huge strength, and that is feminine. And that is potentially revolutionary if, you know, it's, it's possible for her to be undermined. Look what happened to, to Barack, you know, but my prayers are that it's really going to be a different day because she'll listen and because that'll mean that different kinds of solutions can be forged. The problem is the world itself has, and then there's terrible trouble ahead and it's not going to be an easy four years and it isn't all within the power of the president to make history go the way they want. At least she said climate change tear. Yeah. Last night. How about that? He uttered the words, you know, she I can't believe it. You know, again, this is where the, the more extreme left, where I do want their influence on her uh, presidency if she gets, if she gets, the, if she gets elected, because... Yes, um, particularly you know, on that issue. Financial reform is in order. It's the right thing yes. to do, right? Climate change is necessary. I would have loved for her to say more simply, like Clinton, or like uh, Clinton really knows how to deliver in that way, you know, that... that our energy policy has to change because the conditions of the world are changing. And as the conditions of the world, and most particularly the natural world change, we have got to adapt. The nice part is we have the science to be able to do that. And we want to take care of our uh, people who are invested in the energy and people who have worked for those fossil fuel industry. And what can we do in order to help transition them into jobs or, or new positions that, that will up. I mean, she needed to make a stronger argument for, the change in energy policy. I thought it was really important, but at least she said climate change. You know, yes, I was sitting there exactly. literally holding my breath, like, is she going to say it or not? This is where I think we, have, we could have a, a lot of, uh, I'm, a, I'm excited about Hillary being president. 
And when I think of, again, as you were saying, Diane, her whole life, from the beginning, her Wesley commencement speech, she got national attention for that. And it was a beautiful speech. And her, she came into the White House with, she was always talking about the politics of meaning and how politics could uplift. And you know, the right denigrated her for that sort of thing. But you know who else did? The left. Maureen yeah, Dowd. Exactly. Michael yeah, Maureen Kinsley. Dowd. Um, these snarky, you know, yeah, too yeah. urbane lefties. Right. Uh, roll their eyes at that sort of thing. And that's fucked up. But Maureen Dowd has to turn in her press pass as far as I'm concerned. Please, woman. She's a, a, re, a, 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 a knee-jerk cynic, a knee-jerk yes. acid, acid mouth. She makes Bill Maher look hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> look, look idealistic and sincere. <laughs> yeah. It's fun watching him, isn't it, these days? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, he's he's somebody on the left who can match Trump's uh, visceral energy. Uh, yeah, that's right, and, and and it's valuable to have that. <laughs> well, I just want to make a plug to anybody who listens to this podcast that is planning to vote for Bernie. I just do want to make a momentary pitch and say, you know, reconsider and think. You mean Jill Stein or uh, or or. Uh, Gary Johnson. What did I Gary say? Johnson. What did I say? I said you Bernie. said Bernie, but the Bernie people yeah. you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, to the Bernie Talking people. to yeah. Bernie people about third-party candidate votes, yeah. Yeah, or, or not voting at all, just to reconsider, because it's revolutionary to have a woman in office. She's speaking about climate change. I think, she, I think she's amenable to finance reform. I think Elizabeth Warren is well-placed to pressure her, and so is Bernie Sanders. So yeah. I, think, I think she's a good candidate for the left, and I think the left ought to get behind her and not just remain in a kind of sullen, you know, cynical mood that the world doesn't meet my idealistic expectations. She's a person who actually has made change. I think it's yeah. her 30 That's years right. of public service has demonstrated she knows how to go the long haul, and this is the kind of stuff that takes real commitment and conviction and you've got to be shrewd and you've got to be, you know, bold. And I think she's those things. So think about it, you guys. Vote for her. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Vote for her and then hold her responsible. Exactly. You know, you know join you, Bernie's organization, you know, Our Revolution, and, and, and ma- magnify the effect of your vote by continuing to pressure her after she's in office. This is the gift of Bernie Sanders is that a true social democrat vision has been installed in this country. And that ain't going away either. So I, I think Hillary gets that. I think Hillary sort of agrees with that in her, in her secret heart. You know what I'm really upset about? Citizens. I'm really upset that Donald Trump is giving sexual freedom a bad name. <laughs> well, that's, another, that's a topic for another podcast. Here. Exactly. <laughs> All right, you guys. I'm all for Jerry sexual freedom, but it's sacred. It's beautiful. It's not exploitive. Give me a break. It's horrible what he's done to it. Well, he's helping yes. us tease those two things apart. You know, sexual freedom yeah. and sexual exploitation are two different things. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Diane Musho Hamilton and Terry Patton, my two integral compadres, for such a fun conversation. We hope you all enjoyed it, and stay tuned for more from The Daily Evolver. I'm Jeff Salzman. Till next time.